Oh, that was Sam. Okay, my son-in-law, actually. So great to have my daughter and son-in-law in from Pennsylvania. It's great to have all of you joining us online tonight. Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that you be encouraged tonight by God's Word that I want to share with you uh, at this time. So why don't you uh, just bow your heads with me and let's invite the Lord into um, our service. Father, I say we're going to invite you in our service. We believe that you're already here. Thank you for the worship that has gone up to you, the songs and the praise, the admiration through our worship. Truly, you are worthy. Uh, You're a great God. You have done great and mighty things for us. The most important thing of all is sending your Son to live among us and to ultimately offer up his life as a sacrifice for us on the cross. And we're so thankful for Jesus tonight. We're so thankful for Jesus. What a blessing he is. May you just continue to grow us in our um, relationship with him. And do that tonight. Just speak to us through your word. We need your word. We're people who need to be fed by the truths of your word. So speak to us tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been doing this series on uh, Christmas without baggage. And so I want to continue this tonight and talk about Christmas without wonderlessness. Now, I don't know if that's a word, but I want to make it one tonight. So it's funny. I had to tell my dictionary in the computer to add that word because it showed up as being misspelled. But wonderlessness is a thing, and it's a thing that Many of us tend to live without in our day and age. Uh, The verse that I want to call your attention to is a very familiar verse this time of year. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you want to turn there, you can, or I'm going to have it on the screen for us tonight. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for a child is born to us. A son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So those are four titles that Isaiah gives to the coming Messiah, Jesus himself. And I only got time to really focus in on one of these titles. And so I want to look closer to you, uh, closer with you tonight at the title, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Some of the older versions uh, there was a comma between the two words, wonderful and counselor, so as to divide those up, and maybe there's more titles here than just four. Uh, but actually, it's good that some of the later translations have said that this is actually an adjective, and it describes the noun counselor. Uh, let, me, let me define these for you real quick, just, just a couple of short, brief, simple definitions. Wonderful counselor. Well, first of all, counselor, you, you know what a counselor is. You know that a counselor is someone who gives advice or who uh, guides us. My, my niece, I was talking to her earlier tonight, she is a guidance counselor at a middle school down in Alabama. So it's pretty simple that we understand what a counselor is and what a counselor does. And then we're told, though, that the counselor that is, that is prophesied, Jesus, 
He's not just going to be a counselor, but he's going to be a wonderful counselor. And that means an extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable, miraculous sort of counselor. So not simply wonderful in the way that we use the word or tend to use the word, which is, you know, something that's really good. We call it wonderful. Well, wonderful in the Bible goes far beyond that, and it's, it's not uh, simply meaning that, but it means much more. It means something extra, extraordinary, something great, something beyond our wildest imaginations. So uh, I want to give a working definition here for you, something that, that I just wrote down that kind of helped put it in perspective for me, and that is someone, that is Jesus, who speaks extraordinary out of this world, mind-blowing, mood-altering, reality-shifting truths into the depth of our beings, touching every crease and crevice of our darkened, cavernous souls with light, understanding, and hope, resulting in overcoming faith, enabling us to find and give joy and love in spite of our otherwise depressed natural state. How do you like that for a definition? I thought it was, you know, I like the succinctness of it. You know, something that you can really grab onto. <laughs> but it really does, like, when I envision what is meant by Jesus being a wonderful counselor, it really does encapsulate what, what comes to mind for me. Like, he speaks in this really insane way. It blows our mind, minds that alters our moods, it shifts our reality, it touches us at the depths of our being, I mean, down into every crease and crevice of who we are, the, those dark places, right, where all that doubt exists, that's, that's where Jesus speaks into our lives, and he gives us understanding and hope, and that helps us have faith, which enables us to overcome and, and live in this otherwise dark world. I mean, that is the effect of Jesus as wonderful counselor, right? I mean, that is what Isaiah is getting at. Really, that's who he's intended to be. That's what he's supposed to be. Now, here's how I see this working, okay? Especially in 2020. One of, one of the key verses for me this year has been 1 John 2.17, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So specifically the first half of that verse. Is that verse like meaningful to you this year? You know, 2020? Does that like, is that a relevant verse or not? This world is passing away, okay? So when you think about it, that creates fear. It really does. You and I, we really don't know about uh, existing in, in a place, in a world where, where things are uncertain and where everything is being shaken. We're, we're just not used to that. We're, we're used to everything being uh, together and in order, at least in that grand sense, right? I mean, this is the United States of America, and we're here forever, and we're not going anywhere, you know, so we live in a good place, a good country, and, and our feet are on solid ground. Well, this year, there has been some fear regarding that, and there's been some cracks in the foundation, right? So there's, there's fear. Now, um, 
Here, here's, the, uh, here's the other side of it, and, and this is how I believe Jesus counsels, uh, counsels us. So um, here's the counterpart to that particular fear that might arise when you consider that the world is fading away. John 14, 1 through 4. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, my point is this. When you encounter the fear of a world that's crashing down around you potentially, and then you go to God's Word, and you encounter, as a result, a passage like this in John chapter 14, and you hear the words of Jesus being spoken to you, don't worry about it, okay? Don't let your hearts be troubled. There's enough room for you in my Father's home. When everything is ready, I will come and get you where you can live with me. Is that comforting? Right, so, so see, I believe this is how it's supposed to work, right? You encounter fears in life and fears in this world. You go to God and you say, God, here's all my cares. I cast them upon you. What do you have to say about that, God? And at that point, the wonderful counselor, this counselor who gives you advice and guidance, this counselor who speaks in an extraordinary, out-of-this-world, supernatural, miraculous way, begins to speak down into those, those dark places of your soul, those doubting places, and all of a sudden his word comes into you, into your psyche, into your soul, and you start, you start hearing him speak. And your mood gets altered. Your mind gets changed. That's, that's how it works. Now, I learned a long time ago that when you have a dry mouth, you should drink water. It's a, a lesson I learned. I learned a long time ago this about this whole speaking dynamic, God speaking into your life. Now, don't get scared away by the word speak, Okay. Because I don't mean to imply some crazy sort of dynamic, you know, God going, hey, Joe. You know, I, I'm thinking more about your perception of God communicating to you. And he knows how to communicate to you, right? He, he knows how to do it. And so I found out a long time ago that whenever God speaks, you know, like we go to God with things and we want God to speak to us and tell us something and give us some information so that we can make a decision, you know, right? That's how we typically go into prayer. But I found out a long time ago, it doesn't really matter what he says. It doesn't. Like if he speaks to you and you know that he's speaking to you and he's making himself known to you and you're seeing him and he's, he's, it's like, it doesn't matter what he says. You're in the presence of the wonderful counselor. Right? And that's all that matters. He could say, boo. Really, because, see, I'm with him. And when I'm with him, everything's good. But I think that this is how it's supposed to work. And I think that there should be this ongoing experience with God, with his son, the mighty counselor, or, I'm sorry, the wonderful counselor speaking into our lives on a regular basis, raising us up 
from this, this whole woeful earthly existence, this, this fear-stricken earthly existence, and lifting us up to a place that's higher than where we are, right? The psalmist says in Psalm 119, my soul clings to the dust. See, that's what happens with our souls cling to the dust. But we're made for heaven, right? So, so go ahead, Jesus, talk to me about heaven. Give me something really, really far out there to think about. Let, like, put it in my soul. Tell me about the house that I have, the place that I have that's been built for me in glory, and tell me about the time that you're going to come and get me and take me to live there. That's what I want to know. That's what I need to hear, right? That's what I need down in my soul in this life. That's what I need. That's the remedy for 2020, right? When this, when this earth is passing away, he's building a house for you. <laughs> and he's going to come get you and he's going to take you to live with him. That's the remedy, right? Not, oh, God, fix this world. Now, yes. Fix this world. Please help us. I get it. But ultimately, we know that this earth, this world is passing away. Our hope is not in this world. He came as a wonderful counselor. Now, um, here's the problem, though. We often have a lack of wonder or a loss of wonder. And I want to explore for a minute why this is, okay? Okay. I want to ask this question, first of all, could it be ignorance? Could it be ignorance? Like, we just don't know. We just don't know that he came as a wonderful counselor. Now, check this out with me. I thought this was interesting. Um, I, I came across these, these facts. These are the top four unclaimed jackpots in, in, in lottery play. Um, $51.7 million Powerball ticket purchased in Indiana on September 14, 2002. $63 million Super Lotto ticket purchased in California on August 8, 2015. $68 million Mega Millions New York December 24, 2002. And then $77.1 million purchased in Georgia on June 29, 2011. <laughs> All unclaimed, never to be reclaimed <laughs> lottery tickets that people just let go by them. Now, and, and why was it? Well, if you look into the stories, you know, evidently these people tossed the ticket away, you know, forgot they had, they ignored it or whatever, they lost it. But in the overwhelming number of cases, they were just ignorant of the fact that they had won. And you're like, wait a minute, what? if you just had this money. Now, let me just say this. I'm not condoning playing the lottery, right? I mean, I, let's just be clear. I'm just making a point. But, but here's how we tend to think, right? It's like, if you, ha- if you had this money, think about how your life would change. And you're like still going to work every day, and you're going like paycheck to paycheck. Look at how you're living. Look, you could be, right? That, that's how we tend to think. That's the point I'm trying to make, right? Jesus is a wonderful counselor, and your life could be incredibly different if you just knew that, right? Maybe you're just ignorant of that. You don't know. You don't realize that he was sent to be this. And then, how about this? Uh, Could it be insensitivity? Could it be insensitivity? 
Um, I got a picture here I want to show you, and that is of the Grand Canyon. Um, see, in the first case, it's, it's poor insight. We just, we just don't, it could be ignorance. We don't have good insight. In this case, poor taste. Now, I just want to read something to you. This is an author and philosopher. His name is Graham Collier. And he, he talks about two different occasions going to the Grand Canyon. And he says this, I've never seen, or I have never seen the, uh, the South Rim at Mather Point so crowded on the day we visited. There must have been several hundred tourists present. But most surprisingly was their seemingly insensibility to the spectacular vista that confronted them. When I last visited the canyon about seven years ago, there was not as many visitors, a goodly crowd nevertheless, and they spoke softly to each other and moved slowly from vantage point to vantage point. Uh, One had the impression that they were astounded, struck dumb, as is said, by the experience, displayed the kind of reverence one feels when wandering in some thousand-year-old Gothic cathedral. They stood singly or in small groups, talking quietly, if at all. In contrast, the mob, a fair description, he says, of, of those that were there during his most recent visit, they breezed along the rim in groups, conversing loudly, children racing about all over the place. From time to time, they would pause while someone stood on the edge to be photographed, before continuing their promenade, very much as they would likely do promenading the New Jersey seashore, rarely pausing to stand and stare, as the poet Wordsworth Wordsworth, described the fascination that comes when facing a natural wonder. I certainly can't say that I saw anyone struck dumb with awe, as Charles Dudley Warner put it over a hundred years ago. And then he says this, For me, this recent canyon experience was an object lesson in the quick and cursory attitude to so many of life's experiences that nowadays exemplifies our human condition. One possible reason for the apparent lack of deep emotive and intellectual responses in this day and age is that our sense of reality has become modified. For when so much time is spent in the virtual reality of a computerized environment, then the acuity of our five senses, which link us to the natural world, suffers, resulting in the curtailment of our interior psychological life of intuitive thought, feeling, and imagination. So a lot of big words there, but I think you get what he's saying, right? And he, he goes on to say that he's not against computers, but he's just talking about how we get distracted with so many things and we don't have opportunity for experiences like this. And so we become desensitized. We lose the ability to think creatively and to imagine. So my point is that when it comes to Jesus, I think one of, one of the reasons that that. There is no wonder capacity. Like, like this wonderful counselor is not really evoking wonder in us. is because we, we just don't spend the time that's necessary. We don't stop and we don't gaze 
and therefore we lose a taste for Jesus. And then here's the next thought. Um, it could be indiscretion. Indiscretion. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. It's a familiar quote. I'll read it to you. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So there's also poor judgment that's to blame. The Bible describes us as foolish. We choose lesser things. And this is why we tend not to have this capacity of wonder for, for Jesus. Now, let me just pause and say this. Like, why, why is wonder important? Well, let me ask you this. If you're standing by the Grand Canyon and looking out at the Grand Canyon, what do you feel in that moment? <laughs> yeah, so let's say you're out on, on, a, on a boat on Lake Michigan or, or in the Gulf of Mexico. What do you feel? Incredibly small. Let's say you're out and you're looking up at the stars. You're gazing at the stars. What do you feel? You feel small, right? Feeling small is absolutely important. Now, I'm not talking about feeling worthless, but feeling small. Because when you feel small, you realize how big God is or how big your need for God is. It's an absolutely important and critical perspective to have. So, what should you do if you've lost perspective? That, that, that There is no wonder capacity in you. What would you do? First of all, admit your weaknesses and confess your sins. Second of all, refuse to live in a winter wonderless land. Just re refuse to do it. Don't continue to live without this capacity for wonder. Don't do it. Third, go to the Grand Canyon, right? Right? I mean, or, or someplace like it, like do some, get outside and, and look at God's creation. And the advantage that you have that maybe the guy I was reading behind didn't have is that you're believers and, and you're not just looking at the, the creation itself. You're thinking about the creator as you look at this creation. You're going, wow, what kind of God then must have made this? You know, maybe you can't go during COVID, but, but you do have an internet maybe, and you, you can look up pictures and just be wowed. How about this one? Daily pray Psalm uh, 119.18. Do you know what that verse says? It says, the, the psalmist is saying, God, show me wondrous things out of your law. Or we can say out of his word. So there's another Grand Canyon. And it's, it's this book, right? It, this, this is a greater Grand Canyon than the picture, the, the actual place. This is an incredible treasure cove of insight and knowledge and wisdom into who this God is that we serve. I mean... It's funny, he came as a little baby, right? We're like, he's just a little baby. 
But there is so much to this little baby. And, and the Bible indicates you could study him for years and years and years and years and never come to the end of the greatness and the glory of who he is. And then finally, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Then that's what I'm talking about. Like, look to him. The author and the finisher of your faith, ask God to open your eyes to show you the greatness of who he is. Because Colossians 2 verse 3 says, In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Don't, Don't settle for less. Don't settle for second best. Um, pursue more, pursue more. Like our Christian experience, it has to be more than just checking off the boxes, right? It has to be more than just doing that whole religious thing that we do. Uh, you know, just going through the motions as it were. And I appreciate going through the motions. But it, there has to be an inspiration. There has to be a motivation. There has to be a desire. There has to be a hunger. There has to be a thirst. And if you're going to get that, then you got to perceive your God, your Savior, in a bigger light than what maybe you've perceived Him in. In other words, He has to be worthy of your desire, your devotion, your inspiration. And the great and wonderful truth of it all is that there is plenty to go around. Like, just, just scratch, scratch and sniff, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you will taste Him, then you will continue to pursue Him, I promise you. Now, we're going to have the Lord's table together. We're going to share.